The following presentation is a Barrett Sports Media production. He's connected. Jason Barrett says, I'd like to see you here. The answer is when, where, what do you need? Respected. He's got a long and distinguished career in the sports radio business. Truly one of the titans of our industry. And unequivocally invested. This is the place to be if you're in the sports business. He is Jason Barrett. And this is the Jason Barrett Podcast. Now bringing you in-depth conversations with the best and brightest in sports media. And shedding light on the industry's biggest opportunities and challenges. Here's the president of Barrett Media, Jason Barrett. Welcome to episode two of the Jason Barrett podcast. I am Jason Barrett. It's good to be with you talking about the world of sports media. Hopefully you had a chance to check out our first episode, which included a conversation with Fox Sports Radio and iHeart Sports Media executive Don Martin. Today I'm joined by a man who many consider to be the greatest program director in sports radio history, that being Mark Chernoff. Mark and I have maintained a professional relationship for decades, going back to when I entered the business, and I would send him demo tapes by mail. Uh, I've told this story before. Mark eventually offered me an opportunity. I would have worked at night with Steve Summers and on Saturday with Chris Russo. The only issue, ESPN Radio offered me a job on the same day, The money was higher, the commute was less, so I had to turn down the station that influenced me to get into the industry. To his credit, Mark was nothing but class. From that day forward, we stayed in touch, and as we get into the Radio Hall of Fame announcements from this week, I thought it'd be timely to have him on the podcast. Now that the business at hand has been taken care of, I want to dive into this week's edition of What I've Seen or Heard. And it involves what I consider to be the biggest missed opportunity in sports media today. Attention. Attention. Have I got your attention now? This week, YouTube announced a partnership with Shopify, which gives eligible creators access to live shopping tools on the world's largest video platform. New features will allow brands or individuals to link their store to their YouTube channel and tag products, display them, and enable on-site checkout without having to leave the platform. 81% of adults in the U.S. already use YouTube, 2 billion worldwide use it monthly, and over 1 billion hours of video are watched daily on the platform. That's a massive opportunity for anyone producing video content and selling products. Now add Shopify to the mix, a company that just raked in $1.3 billion in revenue during the second quarter of 2022, and it's a natural partnership between two heavyweights that makes great sense. So if you're a brand creating content and reaching a sizable audience on YouTube, the cash register sound effect should be ringing in your ear because the ability to maximize revenue just got better. Except there's one problem. We're terrible at creating and selling merchandise. And this applies to TV too, not just radio. Why we don't use our social media channels, podcasts, on-air promos and liners, and our on-air talent to move our own products makes no damn sense to me. Our talent helps sell advertiser products every day. Our fans follow us, share our content, and have no issue spending to be brand ambassadors. Yet we don't allow them to. I went on to 30 different major market sports radio websites this week. 27 of them didn't even have a store on their website. The three that did 
were WFAN, the Fanatic in Philadelphia, and the Sports Hub in Boston. But when you go into those stores, you find merch that isn't designed to create urgent buying. It's also not promoted beyond a tab on a website, which people frequently don't go to. What I see is the standard brand t-shirt or mug with the logo, or a cool saying or image that worked before. Case in point, the Fanatic did a nice job a few months ago creating a Bearded Delphia t-shirt when James Harden was acquired. But that happened in February. Ironically, WFAN still has a Brooklyn Beard t-shirt in their store, and Harden was traded by the Nets five months ago. That said, at least these brands have a store. The other 90% aren't even ready if a local opportunity presented itself. I saw this exact situation play out a few weeks ago when the Zach Wilson drama unfolded and it was reported that the Jets quarterback may have slept with his mom's best friend. No New York sports media company was ready to capitalize, yet Barstool was. The same day that story came out, they had a t-shirt ready which said, Throwing Bombs, Banging Moms. It was promoted on Twitter and Instagram by KFC Kevin Clancy, and it was prominently featured on their website and in their store. It's why Barstool makes a fortune on merchandise. They're ready to act when things happen. I want you to take a listen to Barstool CEO Erica Nardini. This is from a conversation at the 2020 BSM Summit. She explains their process and the mindset towards monetizing merchandise. I think the thing that we understand really well is just pace. Like you've gotta be on it. We see what hits. We give people a lot of creative freedom. We give them a lot of empowerment. A lot of stuff sucks, like it fails, which is okay. I think that's kind of hard sometimes for people to get started of like, hey, what if nobody buys the t-shirts? And it's like, you know what? A lot of times nobody buys the t-shirts. But then you have a moment like, we have a video producer, a guy named Dana, November, December, he started doing this thing on the weekends called Zillion Beers. He just was like housing Bud Lights and would tag it Zillion Beers and would make a bunch of memes around Zillion Beers. And Dave says, Dana, you know, cut the shit. Like, stop with the Zillion Beers thing. It's so stupid. Like, nobody cares that you're drinking Zillion Beers on the weekend. Like, that's so juvenile. And Dana was like, hey, well, I, I really believe in the Zillion Beers movement. And Dave said, fine, if you can sell $30,000 by... At uh, the end of the weekend, you can keep doing it. Sold $160,000 by the end of the weekend. We've wow. done $1.7 million in Zillion Beers merch oh in two my weeks. God. Now let's use another example. This one is from Philadelphia. When the Eagles won the Super Bowl in 2018, I'm sure local ratings and ad sales were great, but how much money was missed by not having a bigger focus on merchandise? Take a listen to Kyle Scott. He's the founder of Crossing Broad, He shared some insight recently on the Monetize Media podcast on how his brand performed selling shirts around that Super Bowl. Carson Wentz, their starting quarterback, tears his ACL right before Christmas. I'm like, well, that's screwed. Well, you know, to anyone who's a sports fan, the Eagles somehow overcome that. They go on to win the Super Bowl. And along the way, one of the players wears a dog mask on the field because they're underdogs. A guy gives a speech at the parade in in a goofy clown costume, right? All of these things that are like instant t-shirt ideas. So thankfully I had set up the Shopify store. We sell three fifty, four hundred thousand dollars worth of shirts in six weeks. Uh, then more throughout the rest of the year. Having just heard Kyle and Erica, let me remind you, and I know you know this, Barstool and Crossing Broad 
don't have a radio station or a TV channel pumping out 24 hours of programming. They rely on the same tools that we all have access to, a website, social media, podcasts, and talent. The difference? They reacted fast, creatively, and they prioritized the window of opportunity from a merch standpoint. OutKick does this too. Nobody is better at it than the WWE. In a perfect world, you would partner with a local vendor to keep your costs and shipping down so your profitability is higher. But if that's what's standing in the way of being active, do what the fan did in New York and partner with Shopify or go online and find another vendor. I don't think you can argue about it when you literally are delivering zero. This should be a high six to seven figure business for top sports media brands. It isn't though, because we have no strategy or urgency. Groups are already producing six to eight figures annually on merchandise. As we sit here thinking about 2023 and what we can do to lift revenue if ad dollars decline, if this isn't a bigger priority inside each of your buildings, then I personally believe you failed to maximize your brand's revenue potential. Well done, sir. If you have any thoughts on what I just said regarding merchandising, Barrett at sportsradiopd.com. You can also interact on Twitter at sportsradiopd. Now, though, it's time to move forward to our conversation this week. I'm thrilled to welcome to the show a man who many consider to be the greatest program director in the history of sports radio, Mark Chernoff. Yo, listen! If you're following the sports radio business, you probably saw the news. Jeff Smullyan, Chris Russo, Susan Waldman, all inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame. That induction will take place this November in Chicago. Mark, I know you didn't work with Jeff Smullyan, but obviously he started WFAN, which allowed you to get in there and build the most successful sports station in America. So before I get into Russo and Susan, who I know you've got a lot more personal history with, just your thoughts on Jeff finally getting his honor to go into the Radio Hall of Fame. Well, it's cer- certainly well-deserved. He's an innovator, as just proven by starting WFAN. But, you know, I've run into him a number of times. We've had reunions on the air. We've invited him, and he's come on, you know, at various anniversaries of the radio station and stuff like that. Really a tr- tremendous person. Um, you know, I worked with Joel Hollander, who was my GM when we started, and Joel just, you know, was amazed at the things that Jeff did. And when the radio station started back in 1987, you know, a lot of the talent they brought in national talent, a lot of them had New York backgrounds. Lou Boda was a good example of that. Um, but it really didn't work. And I remember Joel telling me, well, you know, we don't know how long this is going to go. But Jeff said, no, we're going to keep this going. It's the right thing to do. And, you know, they refocused on different talent. And, um, you know, the station just became immensely popular. Um, I know that when Jeff bought the Seattle Mariners, um, it meant that um, he probably needed some cash. (laughs) So there was Mel Carmazan waiting to purchase WFAN. And from what Jeff said, you know, he really regretted having to give up WFAN. It was a real passion for him. And certainly, you know, Mel and Infinity and later, you know, we became Viacom, CBS back and forth. 
Um, really just, um, you know, the success was just unbelievable for the radio station through the years. And now Jeff, you know, the, just a few weeks ago announced he's moving out pretty much completely. I, they still have uh, ownership technically of 98.7 in New York, which they lease uh, to ESPN, but he got rid of the Indianapolis cluster to Urban One. He, his exact quote to Andy Bloom this week was, it was hard to be gone, but it was harder to stay. Uh, one guy who did get out from you, he went over to Sirius XM, which I'm sure had to be a rough day for you, was when Mad Dog, I, I still remember the segment, I recorded it the day that him and Mike said goodbye on the air by phone. Um, you know, the thing about Chris, anyone who listens to him knows infectious energy, great knowledge, uh, just raw passion that people could connect with. You saw him every day. What are some things Chris Russo did that maybe the common listener and the common media professional don't recognize went into making him what he's become? Well, he was he had more energy than uh, any six people I know. I mean, he always came in. This is dog. <laughs> He has everything today. Let's go. We're going. We're ready. He was at what was really amazing was the partnership with Mike because um, the two of them would come in. Now, everybody knows some of the time they got along, some of the time they didn't get along. When we started simulcasting the show, sometimes you could see it a little bit. They really weren't looking at each other. Um, And those were rough times. But Doggy had so much energy. It was amazing. And he was just always chock full of ideas. And Part of the yin and the yang with Mike is like Mike knew dogs, hot buttons. Dogs certainly knew Mike's hot buttons. Yep. You know, they would talk about anything. He um, he really was pretty amazing about that. He always knew what he was talking about. Well, at least in sports, he did sometimes, (laughs) sports. (laughs) you know, and I think dog would, 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 would admit to that. But, you know, he was a riot and I really missed him. And, um, you know, I misread a little bit the situation with Mike and Chris. Mike had said dog's going to leave. You know, I I, I know he's going to leave. He even intimated that, you know, he had spoken to Mel, not Mike had, but Chris had. And there was a likely that he was going to go over to Sirius, Sirius at the time. And I just couldn't believe it. But, you know, Dog, I think had made up his mind. It was time for him to go solo, be his own person. And I was sad for a really long time. You know, I was angry, too. Um, I didn't talk to Dog for a while. But, you know, we, we, we did reconcile. We have a really nice relationship again. You know, we do text each other occasionally when we see each other at events. You know, a hug is always there. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel there's still a true bond there. I miss them. Um, I wish they hadn't separated because it was the most amazing team. But both he and Mike certainly, you know, were successful on their own. I'd be remiss if I didn't get in and ask you about Susan, because here she is. She's the color analyst or partner with John Sterling on Yankees broadcast, which is trailblazing enough. But I, you could argue she's underrated. She was at WFAN during a time where Mike and the dog got all the attention. Imus got the attention. Then Boomer and Carton get all the attention. Meanwhile, people forget she's the first voice on the radio station. She was a bulldog of a reporter. Like people forget she brought, you know, when Yogi Berra and George Steinbrenner weren't getting along, she's the one who brought the two of them together. She's carved out a pretty impactful career. You saw it first firsthand. What made her a Hall of Famer? Okay. Well, first of all, when uh, I started in 1993, Technically, we'll say that March 1st was my first date, even though I was around for a few days before that. 
And that was when George Steinbrenner was taken off of probation, suspension, whatever you want to call it, by Major League Baseball. Susan was down in Florida. And at midnight on Sunday night, Monday morning, March 1st, she did an interview with George. And it was really wonderful. First one to really speak to George. Anyway, uh, fast forward a few days later, Susan comes back and it's like she sees a new program director. And my background had been at music stations. And she looks at me, she says, well, what do you know about sports? And I said, I really know. Yeah, well, who played second base in, you know, in the World Series in 1967 for the Boston Red Sox? And I said, Reggie Smith. He said, oh, you knew that? I said, yeah, I'm a fan. Not that I was a Red Sox fan, but I'm a baseball fan. Now, Susan, again, had been the first real voice on the radio station doing an update at three o'clock on July 1st, 87. Then she was kind of relegated to doing overnights and stuff, but she became the Yankees beat reporter and the Knicks beat reporter. And a lot mm-hmm. of people forget about the Knicks beat reporter, yep. but you know, she could speak to Patrick Ewing and a lot, of, a lot of people couldn't. Then I had this brilliant idea that I wanted her to do a show. And I presented her with the idea of doing a midday show uh, with Jody Mack. And uh, I said, you're really a good talent, Susan. You know, you know how to do talk shows. You have a lot of opinions. I think this can work. And she looked at me and thought about it. We spoke to her agent. We cut a deal. And she and Jody did middays. Yep. Um, and when the Yankees network started, um, she uh, moved to TV and really kind of gave up her job. Because while she was the um, doing the midday show, she was still the Yankees beat reporter for a long time. Um, so it was pretty amazing that she could do all this stuff. And Susan is very insightful. Aside from knowing the game, she understood players. She understood how to talk to the talent, how to get stuff out of the talent, how to interview people. And she really became a terrific analyst. You know, and she and John have worked together for many, many years. Remember, the games were on uh, WCBS, our sister station, for a number of years, and they moved over to FAN. Uh, this would be the ninth year. Um, and, you know, as a female, um, it was not easy for her. It was very rough. You know, there were some early people like Gail Gardner who got things started, but Susan was right there too. Um, and I, I, in a way, I hate to use the word pioneer. It makes some, like somebody sound old, but that's not really the case. But in a sense, she was mm-hmm. in that she developed it um, and she became as respected as anybody out there for the way she asked questions, the kind of questions she asked, and for just understanding players managers, coaches. Um, When you still listen, you know, aside from her interviews with Aaron Boone, she'll do a second interview and it could be with a player, it could be with a coach, it could be with a broadcaster, it could be with a writer. Talk about somebody who knows a lot. That's Susan. And she's just really been fabulous and just very talented because she's able to do all of these things in what was once a man's world. It's been a little over a year, 13 months since you left WFAN. Before I get into specifics of the role, being removed now for 13 months, having a chance to where you're not reporting to an office, you're not living and dying with every decision that's made. How how does it feel now to you? What do you miss about it? And what don't you miss about it? Well, I really miss the day to day um, of talking to people all the time. I will say this. I made a lot of friends and acquaintances 
And a lot of PDs, even after I left, were calling and saying, hey, I need your advice on something. Could you listen to something? Um, so, and I did. Now, we have to look at the last year and a half before I left. There wasn't a whole lot of going into the office. Really, the last two, three months uh, that I was at the radio station with it was the first time I was really coming in on a regular basis like everybody else. So I still get up early in the morning. I go out and run my five miles every day. I didn't want that to end. Um, but at first it was like getting up in the morning and saying, hmm, what am I going to do today? And um, well, let's see, today will be a ShopRite day or a Whole Foods day <laughs> or who can I go out to lunch with today? You know, being full retirement, that really wasn't for me. It wasn't what I wanted to be doing. Look, I've been on the record. The company is not my company to run. Whatever decisions were made were made for whatever those reasons were. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I certainly had a, a ton of time of advance notice, you know, and Chris Oliveira, the market manager, um, really wanted me around for, you know, a longer period of time. And we made that happen. And he had me be an absolute 100% partner in helping him speak to other people, interview. I interviewed every candidate, both those inside the company and outside the company, gave my honest opinion about them. And, you know, he made a good choice. I mean, Spike Eskin, you know, a, a really terrific program director with a great pedigree coming out of Philadelphia. You know, he's done some things differently than I did them. And that's the way it goes in radio. I'm proud to say that, you know, I put together, uh, you know, Boomer and Geo and Craig and Evan in the afternoon, you know, which isn't to say that Chris wasn't an integral part of it because he certainly was. But as the program director, those are two shows that I feel very proud of. They're both doing terrific in the ratings. And I think everybody's happy in Tiki and Tierney. You know, I, I believe are doing pretty well. Um, some changes had to occur over a period of time. Some of the update anchors uh, with the less importance of anchoring at the radio station. So that's changed. A few of the people have left for one reason or another on the downsizing. Steve Summers, you know, decided uh, or the company decided with him that maybe it was time to, you know, not be on the air every day. Joe Beningo, pretty much on his own, you know, was ready to call it a day on full-time work. So things have changed. You know, Mike finally called it a day on the radio as well. But, you know, there's an opportunity for the station to move into a different world. You know, sports betting has certainly become you know, a major topic. It's now a part of what not this radio station just does, but, you know, most radio stations. So, so things change um, as they always do with time. You know, nothing stays the same. At least yeah, when, you, when it's, you know, everybody's got their own style. Any good leader is going to have their own vision. You know, like it, it's not like Spike was going to go in there and turn WFAN into an ESPN sounding station. You know, he, he understands what makes WFAN successful. And then he's going to have his own style of which talent he likes. And him and Chris are going to try to look at what's going to be good for the next decade. I'm curious. You mentioned during that that answer that you had worked with Chris going through that process. Yes. And, you know, when you're going through that process, because you guys had a lot of great options and Spike is one of my favorite, like he's creative, he's candid. I've always had a good rapport with him. He did really, really strong work in Philly with WIP. When you're going through that, obviously Chris has to, at the end of the day, make the final call. And yes. But when you're going through that, you've got all these talented PDs. What separates at that point 
a spike from the rest of the pack? Well, he had the experience of working with some major talent, Angelo Cataldi being, you know, the major of the major talent. Right. Spike also had the experience of being on air, um, more, I would say, on the music end than in the sports end. But, you know, my background was that I was a jock for many years on music stations. He even did some WIP afternoon when Bloom was there. You remember he worked with Ennis and uh, Hollis Thomas at one point, right? That's right. But I always felt um, in my case and in a lot of cases and in his, it's great to have that on-air experience because you also know what it feels like. And when you need to go to upper management to say, I need this for my people, you know, you can say, I know I've done that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, you know, we have to be more receptive to the talent because some, sometimes upper management doesn't understand that because a lot of those people were not on the air. As a PD, one of the hardest jobs is replacing a big show. You talked earlier about how it took you a little bit of time before you could talk to Russo and, you know, you were a little sad, you know, and when you're going through that, you have this iconic show and you've got to figure out, okay, if we go with Mike solo, is it going to work or should I have a partner? When Don Imus blew up, uh-oh, we're going to change course. Is Boomer and Carton the right fit or is it Mike North who came through or is it DA who came through? And all these options that you look at, you've only got one or two chairs that you could fill and you got to make the best decision and you've got to ultimately be right. So when it comes to replacing those big shows and big talent, I mean, you've done it better than anybody. So, well, well, thank you. Let me let me give you the two rundowns. First, when when Imus was let go, I mean, that was really rough, and, and you know, and wasn't really expecting that. Obviously, the turn of events was pretty right. awful. So, first thought is, okay, do we do another Imus type show? And I tried a whole bunch of different people, um, including Joe Scarborough, Lou Dobbs, Jim Cramer. Um, Boomer with Monica Crowley. And it just, you know, I said, you know what? Politics is not going to work. Entertainment value is important, but not that kind of an entertainment show that Imus was doing. And when uh, Chris said to me, you know, Craig Carton might be available. I met with Craig. I talked to him. Boomer, you know, still was, you know, I want to be your guy. I want to, and, you know, couldn't find the right, tried him with Chris Collinsworth, dog. I said, I don't know. Well, you know, maybe let's see, would you be willing to work with Craig Carton? His first answer was no. I've heard stories about him. He's a bad guy. I said, he's not a bad guy. I know you've heard stories. He's, he is outspoken. He's got a lot of opinions, but he's funny. You know, he knows a lot about a lot of things and he's extremely entertaining. Well, Boomer did some homework. He called like a, a lot of New Jersey state troopers and stuff. <laughs> he finally, he finally agreed to do an audition. So I gave him a bunch of topics, um, some sports, some not sports. And I had Chris come up and listen with me. And after about four or five minutes, I turned to Chris and said, that's my morning show. You're sure about that? <laughs> I said, yes. I'm but sure how do you know, that. like, you know, I've, and I've done this too, where, I, I tell people, I can't explain it. It's just the sound in my head. Like, I know what I want the roles to be. And when I find the right people that fit those roles, I don't just think about day one. I think about, okay, if they work together and they all fit these roles, over time, this is going to build and grow. 
But I can't tell you that, you know, inside of listening for five minutes that I know it's absolutely going to be the flagship show for the next 10 years. How do you listen to Boomer and Carton for five minutes and know that that's it over all the options you just mentioned before? Because I just heard the way the rapport between the two of them on the topics they were talking about, sports and non and then they would go off on tangents. And I'm saying, this is what we need. And I knew Craig wasn't going to be the sports expert, but I had a guy who was in, you know, an NFL MVP, a guy who went to the Super Bowl. I just felt that the two of them, you know, this was you know, a real dichotomy in how they approached sports and how they approached topics, but it could really mesh together. Now, at the time, I also was uh, running what we had uh, free FM over where 92.3 K-Rock used to be and Opie and Anthony, um, you know, also a great show. Um, were were there, but it looked like that that may come to an end on um, radio because uh, they were working for XM at the time, and XM was like, well, they don't curse enough for our you know happiness. <laughs> it's like, and that really opened another door. Um, not that they weren't doing okay, but that really opened up another door on radio for uh, those guys to be heard by a lot more people. Now, the story with Mike and Chris is Mike was open to the idea of, of having a partner. We talked to Stephen A. Smith. We talked to a bunch of people at the radio station um, and people not at the radio station. And I think there was a period where Mike was close to saying partner. But then Mike said, you know what? I'm going to do this solo. And the reason I'm going to do it solo is if it fails, he said, it's going to be on me. He said, if I have a partner, um, you know, people will blame all kinds of things. I'll know it's me. And I'm just going to put it on me that I believe I can be successful doing a solo show, you know, and, um, and that's what he did. But just think of this. The man was doing five and a half hours by himself. Right. Well, you know, from 2008 until almost 28 hours a week on the air. Um, that I think the time had come. So, you know, Mike left, but also, you know, wanted, wanted to come back and we, we agreed and wanted him to come back. It meant for some icky, icky moments at the radio station. Um, and Mike did it and, you know, was successful. But again, I think that that's not what he wanted to do in life. You know, he toned down and did some stuff online he did a, you know, an, a half hour and then an hour at six o'clock, but that really wasn't enough time for him to get going either. And especially, you know, we had baseball some of the time. So, you know, 625, he'd, he'd do a, you know, a 10 minute rant. He'd try to take a couple of calls. It's like, wait, I'm done. It's like, uh, <laughs> for a guy who was doing 28 hours a week, that doesn't exactly. work. Uh, exactly. let, let's pivot for a minute. I want to talk about the PD role itself. Yeah. You know, in 2000. 21 when you were last running this station that job very different than the pd role at least the one that i experienced 2011 um i'm sure it was even more drastically different the pd role in 2001 when you look at the pd role today is it as fulfilling and rewarding as it used to be um that's a that's a really good question you know, Odyssey and other companies, you know, renamed their PDs to become brand managers because you're overseeing. Don't even get me started on this damn title. Look, I, I, I agree. I do agree with that. But I think the idea what companies have decided is that their PDs 
have to not just manage talent, but they've got to manage how are we doing podcasts? How are we doing things digitally in general? You know, how are we promoting ourselves? You know, you're, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different job than it, it is. It is. It's very different. You know, when I was first at PD, you know, you're, you're managing the talent, you're managing the radio station. What kind of promos are you running? You know, first, how are you dealing with the diary world and how are you dealing, dealing with the PPM world? Um, now it's how many people do we have listening on the stream? Are we promoting the mobile? Are we promoting um, Alexa and Google? And so um, the metrics now are very different. Um, I always wanted uh, the radio station to uh, just have one rating for WFAN and WFAN.com. That wasn't Odyssey's way of doing it. They wanted to do it differently and maximize how they do the digital. But we were able to get um, ratings for WFAN.com and for WFAN. And you can just kind of put the two together, come up with a number. So you can make it one number so you can still get an idea of how many people are listening. Sometimes folks in radio, they look at the program director, and they go, they should be able to have a podcasting strategy, know how to do social media, be able to get ratings on the radio station, be an assistant to help sales generate revenue, be able to discover talent. And they give them all these six, seven jobs. And they find that some people are really good at four of those jobs. And some are only good at two of those jobs. And if the ratings are good, we go, all right, well, we suck at five departments, but we're really good at the ratings. So that's good. And then I go, guys, look at the sports world. Imagine if radio ran a major league baseball team. Your son has worked in front office. If you didn't have a pitching coach working with the pitchers and you didn't have a hitting coach and it was just the manager who handled the hitting and the pitching at, at some point, certain departments are not going to be strong. And so we're in this world where as podcasting and betting and all these other things are taken off. It's not that we don't have some really talented programmers who can do a lot of things. They're expected to be masters at seven or eight things Whereas it used to be, be a master at two or three things. And I just wonder how many things do we not succeed on simply because we're just trying to pile on to one person just ultimately to try to obviously keep costs down. Well, that, that's, that's a good point. And too many companies, you know, have said one person, that's it. We can't afford to hire somebody. If you want to have somebody, then here's what has to go. Now, when Eric Spitz left to go to um, Sirius XM, I had somebody who could handle some of the operational stuff for CBS Sports Radio, but now I was fully in charge of not just WFAN, but CBS Sports Radio. Um, so aside from whatever responsibilities with fan, which also included meeting regularly with salespeople, manage meeting, management meetings and stuff like that. And um, it also meant I did a weekly call. Uh, Cumulus you know, is a partner with uh, Odyssey on CBS Sports Radio. So had weekly calls related to sales. Uh, Bruce Gilbert, you know, I always wanted his input because I always felt he was an important person. And for CBS Sports Radio, some of the talent wasn't in the building. Like Jim Rome was out in California. It was a lot harder job and, you know, would have been nice to have somebody, but rather than cutting people elsewhere, I just figured, you know, let me do as much as I can. And, and I really felt, you know, I was able to keep the glue together at both places. 
Um, you know, we were doing fine in the digital world. You know, I was really up in that. I, I, I checked the metrics every day, sometimes more. You know, Craig Carton was, you know, fanatical about well, how many people were listening when I did such and such an interview. You know, and I was able to check on it, look, and we talk about it and see, you know, where we were going. And, you know, was that same thing translating to, you know, radio station ratings and stuff like that. So I absolutely felt on top of all the metrics and stuff. Um, but it was like learning new things. So here's something new. Here's something new. Here's something new. Add that to your, you know, agenda, you know, and also working close, you know, with marketing people. I wish we were able to do more giveaways and stuff. But, you know, the giveaway uh, a pile of money was not there anymore. Um, you know, the, the world changed, as you say. And it's, it's very hard now. I noticed some of the stations that didn't have assistant PDs now have assistant PDs. And I think that, that that's a really good decision. Let, let's go there for a second. You know, future program directors. I've helped probably put 10 to 15 in place over the last seven years. And I run these searches and I could tell you the last couple of years, especially the last three or four, there's I, I see a lot less interest from younger people than I did when I started doing this. I see a lot of young people who still want to be on the air, who love to podcast, love to be a radio host. But do people still want to be program directors today? And if, if there's, you know, some wiggle room there, what do we have to do to get them more excited about being in charge of running programming departments in the future? Well, I think there's a lot less interest. A lot of stations don't pay what the going rate should be. So that's an issue. Um, and a lot of people have said, well, if you're going to be a program director, you, are you, are you, you know, you're going to be running eight radio stations day to day. It's like, Huh? I know one it, station that, you know, I'm not going to say who it was, but literally had someone in charge of five radio stations making 50K. You, you can't expect somebody to be successful doing that. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, and a lot of the producers that uh, we had at FAN and CBS Sports Radio, they really just wanted to be on the air. And I would really tell these people, if you really want to be on the air, get a job being on the air. I know you feel like you're in New York. This is the Mecca. This is the place to be. But other than, you know, a holiday here or there or an overnight here or there when we're shorthanded, you're not going to get the real an opportunity. Because I really wanted these people to go out in the world and get jobs elsewhere. I said, get a job, get a five day a week or six day a week job, work on your skills, and then hopefully you'll be able to come back and work here. You know, yeah, which is what Greg Giannotti did. He went out to Pittsburgh, built his built his resume, came back to CBS Sports Radio. You had, had already had him as a producer at FAN right. before he went and became a host. And now look, now the guy's the face of morning drive with Boomer. And the people that wanted to be producers and stayed in producing, I'll give you a good example. Andy Roth worked for me as a producer. Uh, he went up to Buffalo to be a program director. And he's been in Cleveland, you know, started the station. I had the great pleasure of not him just working with me, for me, but, you know, we were able to work together and, and getting Cleveland, uh, you know, KRK, the fan on the air. Um, you know, he really wanted to be a program director. And that's what he did. You know, guys like Mitch Rosen in Chicago, he wanted to be a program director. And, and that's the route he's taken. And look how successful he is. Um, there are some program directors who I still think would rather be on the air. Um, and, and a lot of them, you know, have not given their full attention 
the programming because like they get antsy and want to do stuff. And it's like, you know what? It's nice that you've been on the air, but if you want to be a program, director, be a program director, give your heart and soul to that. Um, when I became the program director at WNEW FM back in the eighties, um, and I was ready to give up my on-air career, um, Charlie Kendall, who was the program said, no, 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 I want you to do shifts. And I wound up, you know, doing between 75 and hundred air shifts a year. And it was fun, but I knew that wasn't the direction I was going to go in. I wanted to be a program director. And I had made up my mind when I left WDHA rock station in North Jersey, that I'm okay giving up my on-air career. Now, you know, full circle. Um, <laughs> I literally was just waiting to go here because you're talking about program directors giving up being on the air. Now here you are, you've left the program director world and you're back on the air. Well, I have to thank Robbie Bridges, who's the program director at um, The Boss 1071. Um, I reached out and said, hey, you know, retirement isn't for me. You know, I was a jock when I started out. And I, you know, let me send you this tape. I did a show at CBS FM before I left. And um, he liked it and said, no, we'd love to have you do that. Now, he's also asked me uh, for his, uh, uh, you know, uh, Robbie and Rochelle, the morning show that he and his wife host to do two sports reports a morning. So those I tape, but um, I go in live for the shows that I do. And, you know, I can be critiqued. And, you know, if, if I've told well, him. I mean, you know about critiques because Boomer yeah. and Geo have turned it into a yes. bit. Are they are they pretty good with their critique or are they way off? Ah, well, listen, they've never liked my voice. And, you know, I've had this <laughs> reputation of, you know, I always sound whiny. I've been teased through the years. Scott Muni used to tease me at NEW and um, I teased me. And before that, Howard Stern teased me. Mike and Chris teased me. Everybody teased me. It's fine. You know, I don't have uh, that, that great Paul Turner announcer voice. Um, but um, I think I do a good job as a jock. I know my stuff. I know the music. Again, the, the sportscasts are fine. It's, that's not what I did. But I think I've proven that I certainly know what I'm talking about. You know, it's just me for a minute. There's no audio in there. There's no highlights from games and stuff. So, you know, at night or very early in the morning, you know, I put together two one minute casts. If it's not entertaining, then Robbie will tell me and he'll say, you know, thanks. No, thanks. You know, maybe we'll do this again in some other lifetime. But, um, you know, I'm happy to be a part of his morning show or their morning show. And I'm happy to, you know, loving even though it's a, a little bit of a drive down there. It's OK. Listen, when when radio's in your blood, it doesn't matter if you're running WFAN doing local updates on a New Jersey station or working in the sticks of the middle of the country. The bottom line is entertaining an audience, connecting with people and creating basically out of thin air. You're still doing it. And so props to you because it's, uh, I mean, your programming career speaks for itself, but to still be active, still be having fun in it. I think that's awesome that you remain involved and I appreciate you giving us some time here today. And my grandkids can listen online and say, oh, that's grandpa. Listen to grandpa. Just get him a meter. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, yeah, some, some of them are the right age, some are not, but yes. Are you still doing the monthly catch? Yes. We have uh, my, uh, 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 Mikey is coming in uh, this week. Um, so we will get the August catch in uh, before the next. And you've never days. missed, right? We haven't missed. And you know, the history of that is when he was a little kid, you know, I'd come home, you know, in a shirt and tie back in those days um, from New York and let's, okay, dad, we're ready to go out. Can I take off my suit? Well, okay. 
and we go out in the winter, we would go out and we'd, you know, clear off fields or we'd clear off blacktop or we'd do whatever we could. Yep. When he went off to Princeton, it was like, what can we do? So that's when we decided on the once a month, knowing that we had always done that. Mm-hmm. And Princeton was pretty easy. It got tougher when he went off to Cleveland, but He's been in Cleveland now since 2003, and we have not missed a month. Thank you for listening to the Jason Barrett Podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, YouTube, or wherever you consume podcasts. And to stay in touch with Jason, follow him on Twitter at Sports Radio PD or read his columns on BarrettSportsMedia.com.